our, our consideration today is on the back page of your bulletin. And so this is from Benjamin Franklin. Interesting enough, a lot of those guys, these early founders of the, uh, the country, they had some really good understanding of, of, of the Bible, uh, certainly more so than what you see today. Now, Benjamin Franklin writes this about the fact that God governs in the affairs of men. And notice what he says here. I have lived a long time, sir, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. And that's true. And what, isn't that what God brought Nebuchadnezzar to see? That the God of Israel was the one and only God. And he, he does uh, involve himself in the affairs of men. And who's going to say to him, why doeth thou? What doeth thou? You're going to question God about what he does? I'm not. Job found, an, he found out what happens when that, that's the case. And that brings us to our message for today. And so our message today, we've been talking about agape love. We're on message number nine. And I think this is a very important message because it talks about uh, what, why is love important? You know, you had that song that Tina Turner, I don't know if some of us were, were too old to remember that. What's love got to do with it? <laughs> and so, and she sang that song and uh, the song she sang, love she was talking about, probably nothing. <laughs> it didn't have anything to do. But when it comes to believers, love is an essential thing. It's really an essential thing. And so we've been talking about love over the last few weeks. Uh, as we've, we've, we've talked about in this message, and, I, and we've got a few more messages to go. And so this is really a very important topic because it gets down to where the rubber meets the road for believers. Uh, and so we talked about the different kinds of love. You have uh, eros, which is uh, what you find in the world mostly today is more sexual love. Then you have um, phileo, which is a fondness, which you have for friends. And then we found the other kind of love, which is storge, which is a love for your own family members. And then you find that the highest form of love that the Greeks understood was agape. Why? Because agape love is self-sacrificing. So if I'm going to get agape love you, if I'm going to direct a love toward you, I don't need you to be anything. You see, we, when we talk to uh, couples in premarital counseling, one of the first questions we ask them is to look at the person that you're getting ready to marry and ask yourself one question. Can I accept this person just as they are? And, you know, I said, if, if you don't, if you can't accept this person just as they are, get up from this table <clears throat> and don't just walk away. Run. <laughs> Run as fast as you can. Because if you cannot accept a person just as they are, you're going to have problems. And that's the stuff that troubled marriages are made of. And that's the problem. And Scott has this saying. What, what, how does that go, Scott? I can never remember it. About uh, how many people are walking down the aisle when, when two people get married. How does that go, Scott? There's six people who show up at the altar. The guy he thinks he is, the guy she thinks he is, and the guy he really is. And the girl she thinks she is, the girl he thinks she is, and the girl she really is. Uh, yeah. And those are the six uniting in marriage. <laughs> right. And so nobody is marrying. What happens most of the time in marriage is people are looking at a person that they idealize this person to be, right? 
They're not really looking at the person. And you know what I've noticed is that once someone sends out invitations, they can find out this person is an axe murderer. This marriage is going down. It doesn't really matter what they find out about the person at that point. This marriage is going down. Oh, they'll get better. We'll work on these other things down the line, right? And that's kind of what happens. With agape love, you find the person that you understand that you can give 100% to. And it's not 50-50. It's 100% zero. That I can love this person and I can dedicate my life to this person. And it's not dependent upon what they do. You see. Agape love is a totally different kind of love than any kind of love that you will hear about in the world. Because it's not dependent upon what the person does. Look at it with Christ and the Father. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave. The world wasn't capable of giving anything. They did not have the ability to give one thing. And so agape love is, is, is crucial so the problem is, is that we have these people who are in this body that is, constitutes the body of Christ, and we're still imperfect people. How do we get to the point where there's harmony in the body of Christ, where we're able to get past our idiosyncrasies and our different personalities and all these different things that go on? And it's agape love. Love is what binds the believers together. What causes the believers to be able to deal with people of different personalities and different backgrounds and different situations and and able to bring those believers together under one purpose, under one heading, and accomplish those things that God desires And, you know, a lot of what is involved in that is self-sacrificing. You know how many church splits have occurred because this wasn't in place? I know of a lot of church splits that have occurred because people were fighting over the color of what carpet they were going to put down in the church. Or they were fighting over what curtains they were going to put up. Or they were fighting over the fact that somebody took down a picture that someone's great-great-grandfather had put up in the church. Or they changed the windows that great-grandpa put in the church. None of these things really would happen if there was actually real love of believers one toward another. And, and we dealt with that. And so we talked about the fact that the, the, the uh, love is to be directed toward one another. One another. Those of the same kind. And so that makes a huge difference. And we'll see today that love is a bonding agent. And it's the thing that is important in bonding believers together. And then you'll see why is it important? Because it produces a certain kind of behavior that can't be produced otherwise. And we'll see that. And God has, and so we go back to what we said in John, that what the new commandment, love, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this thing, all men will know that you're my disciples. It's not because you could speak in tongues. It's not because you can do the holy dance. 
It's by your love, one for another. And that makes a huge difference. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful that as believers that we uh, can direct agape love toward each other. And that by doing that, that we're able to allow believers to be uh, perfected by you and um, allow uh, the type of things that you would want to happen in the body as we're able to direct long-suffering and kindness and joy in various circumstances that uh, we're able to accomplish those things that you desire. We're, we're thankful, Father, Father, for that perspective and that pro prospect. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And so we come to uh, Colossians, and we want to start there in Colossians chapter 3. This is just an amazing book. Paul is talking to the, Coloss the believers at Colossae, uh, whom he never met in person, and that he had heard of these saints, and he wrote this uh, letter uh, to these believers. And uh, he talks to them uh, in the third chapter, and he starts off, and he talks about how to um, overcome the sin nature, which we were talking about this morning. Uh, in our uh, new membership class. And so here you see one of the ways that the believer is able to have victory over this fallen nature that we have is he says, verse 1, since you've been risen together with Christ, if it's what is called a first-class condition, he's not a, uh, questioning it. He's actually saying that it's a fact that you've been risen together with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your frame of mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid together with Christ in God. So if you believe the facts of the gospel, Christ died on the cross for our sins and that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day, no longer are you the person that you were born into this world as. That you are a new creation. Do you know that's the hardest thing for people to reconcile? Because you keep looking at yourself and what you're doing and you say, well, I know that that's, the, that's what it says, but I can't, I'm still doing what I do. Do you know you might say that, but God has never changed his opinion of you? So the question is, here's you, God sees you as being in his son, Jesus Christ. The question is, does God ever change his opinion of you? No. The question is, can I bring my opinion into line with how God sees me? And the degree that the believer is able to do that will be the degree, degree that the believer is able to grow and mature. And what stops you from doing that? Here Paul says, set your frame of mind on things above. Who you are in Christ. You seek out who God says that you are. Those things that God has said about who you are. And, he, you know, unlike us, you know, we, we try to see God like people, right? That if uh, you mess up, you know, they're done with you, Right? With a lot of people, you're walking on eggshells because you know that if you push the wrong button, you're done. <laughs> I'm finished with you. God's not that way. And so he says, you set your frame of mind on things above for you are dead. Who you were in Adam. Before you were saved and you believed Christ died on the cross for our sins and was buried and was raised again. You were seen as being in Adam. And now, when you believe those facts, God moved you from this position in Adam over into a completely position, different position in Christ. And God sees you not as you were, but who you are now. And he has never changed that view of you because of the work that his son has accomplished. And so Paul is conjoling these believers 
You're dead. Who you were before you were born, as you were born into this world, that's gone. So isn't that what he said in 2 Corinthians 5? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, you shall appear with him in glory. Mortify your members that are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Evil concupiscence. Have you, ever heard, have you heard anybody use that word this week? Hey, I don't like your concupiscence. <laughs> I mean, that's not a word that we use in the English vernacular. Uh, really, you would say um, it's uh, evil um, lust. Or passions from lust is actually as how it's being translated there and covetousness, which is idolatry for which things sake, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience in which also you walked also sometime when you live with them. And so notice he's setting up this scenario. He says, this is what you were. You used to do these things that the other people did. And even if you're doing them now, If you believe the facts of the gospel, it still doesn't mean that you have fallen back into that, that you are that person. Now, God's going to deal with you as he does deals with a son. You know, he's not dealing with the unsaved people that way today. It's an interesting thing when you go back into um, the church of Laodicea. He uses a third class condition and he says, if I were actually even fond of you. He doesn't even use the word agape. He says, if I were fond of you, I would be chastening you. But he wasn't because he doesn't chase the devil. He doesn't chasten the devil's children. And that's a fact. But now you also put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man and his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed and knowledge after the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uh, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Again, this is why I say this stuff of race is things that the world system has contrived. From God's point of view, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ. You will not hear me from this pulpit talk this foolishness about race. If I do, come up and slap me upside the head. (laughs) This is just foolishness. It's utter foolishness. And people are using that in the world. That is not what we're about in the body of Christ. The body of Christ is one. When you become a believer, you, you lose your racial distinctions. You see? Now, did Kevin say that or did you read it here? I can show you many places where that's the case. There's only three races of people that God recognizes today. Jew, Gentile, or the church of God. And so, uh, you're all one in Christ. Put on, therefore, the elect of God, holy, beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, 
Now notice here, verse 13, forbearing one another. Now look at what he's doing. He's showing this distinction between what you were and what you are. Now you have capabilities as a believer that you didn't have when you were unsaved. And notice one another. Remember we talked about this the last time we talked? One another. One another of the same kind. One another of the same kind. A lot of people find their identity in people of the same race. We we saw how that word was used, remember? It was based upon the context. And in this context, he's talking about other believers of the same kind. That you can direct these kind of behaviors at other believers who have the same capabilities See, I, I have people in my own family who are unsaved and they don't have the capacity to direct agape love. They don't have that capacity. I, I, I don't know about you, but I am very aware of who I'm talking to. And I just don't take it for granted that just because I'm talking to a family member that they're a believer, I just don't take it for granted that just because someone is in America that they're a believer. You see? It makes a huge difference because I can have a relationship with believers that I can't have with someone else. And I don't care about what background they're from. I don't care about what race they're from. I don't care about what state they're from. If they're believers, we can have share some things in common that we can't share with other, other people who are not saved. And so notice he says, <clears throat> for bearing one another, uh, verse 12, you put on. Now, this is interesting. This word for put on is going to tell us how you have the capability of being able to direct this love and some of these other things he's talking about here. You put on. It's the word endunamai. Uh, it's a form of it. And so the ideal here is like you're putting on a, a clothing, like you would put on a garment. Uh, and, but it's a mental thing here. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, do also do ye. Now, here's the point that we were getting to, verse 14, and above all, Put on uh, these things, and the inference there is, put on charity. And the word charity is an old English word for actually it's agape love. Uh, you know, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Charity Hospital back in New Orleans. It used to be a huge hospital in New Orleans called Charity. It's uh, Love Hospital. It's actually what you could have called it. Um, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That's just so, that's just some wonderful stuff in this verses 12 through 15. It's just unbelievable. But notice what he says here. Love is a bonding agent in verse 14. And so, and uh, above all these things, put on love, which is a bond of, perf- of the perf- it's perfectness or really of ma- maturity, I would say. And so love is a bonding agent that results from maturity. Now notice this word bond is uh, actually the word uh, soon desmos, and it's used in a physical sense of bands or ligaments used uh, to bind bones in the body 
in order to prevent them from not operating in a harmonious fashion and thereby causing harm to the body. And so this idea of a band, it's a, that Greek word has, actually has the idea of these ligaments that keeps the body together and keeps it from just, if you didn't have these ligaments, your body would just not be able to function. It would just be going in all kinds of different directions. And so notice he says, love serves as that kind of means in the body of Christ. And notice in Colossians 2.19, you see uh, similar things said. <clears throat> Verse 18, he says, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly, fleshly mind, and not holding the head which all the body which the joints and bands, having nourishment, ministers, and knit together, increases with the increase of God. And so here you see the body as it's functioning together and um, being knit together, able to cause the body to uh, feed itself and to grow. And so this bonding agent, love is seen as the bonding agent that results from this. Now notice love unites other parts of the fruit of the, of the spirit that you see in scripture. So interesting thing that you see love and it's used with other parts of the fruit. Uh, faith, you see it used there a lot. And so love is a bonding agent that it causes, it brings together other parts of the fruit that really benefits uh, the body. And you can see that in uh, several places. Notice faith is loosely associated with love on several places. Look at Ephesians, the sixth chapter, in verse 23. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 23. Now notice uh, Paul uses this, he says... Um, He's closing uh, as a departure uh, to the Ephesians. Notice he verse 22, he says, Whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that you might know of our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace. Uh, and so you, when you see those words there that are italicized, be, it's actually is to you, is to the brethren. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Or I would say love, which is loosely associated with faith. Now, you're going to continue to see this, and there's a relationship between faith and love that you continue to see in the New Testament, that love, uh, faith, you will see uh, in Galatians 5, what we see in Galatians 5, 6 here, is actually energized by agape love. Ephesians 5, and uh, Galatians 5 and verse 6. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul is talking to uh, the, the believers at the, church, uh, at the churches in Galatia. And notice what he says in verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you be circumcised, Christ profits you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the entire law. One of the, the biggest problems that believers fall into early on is, and well, not just early on, but even later, is trying to put yourself under law. And, and so a lot of people would say, well, I'm going to obey the Ten Commandments, right? Now, I won't ask a show of hands, but I'm sure everybody here at some point in time has tried to do that after being saved. Lots of luck. 
<laughs> I want I want to ask for a show of hands. <laughs> so you have that problem. Paul says in Galatians three that no man is justified by law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by what faith and the law is not of faith. So God gave the law to Israel to show them they could not do what he wanted them to do. And if you try to put yourself under that law, all it's going to do is show you you're falling short. You're falling short. You're falling short. And it doesn't have the capacity to help you to know how not to fall short. It's just like a mirror, right? I go, I got up this morning in front of the mirror. I saw the picture in front of the mirror. It didn't look good. <laughs> hey, didn't look good. But I can't blame the mirror. All the mirror is doing is reflecting what's in front of it. <laughs> that's all it's doing. And so that's what the law does. Is it shows you, you and I does not, do not have the capacity to do what God wants us to do. Now, so some of us graduate from that and then we'll put ourselves under our own laws. We'll come up with our own rules and say, well, if I do this and this and this, I'll show people how good I am or I'll show God how good I am. And we come up with our own little rules. And boy, if we break them, we're hard on ourselves. And so we've just put ourselves under another law. So what Paul says if you put yourself under any quality of law, Christ have become of no effect to you whatsoever. You have fallen from grace. Now, why is that important? Because grace is God giving you something that you cannot earn. You don't deserve. There is nothing you could ever do that would amount to causing him to say that's a great thing. It's all of grace. We're saved by grace. We live by grace. We'll be raptured out of here by grace. It's grace all throughout. And if you put yourself under law of any sort, you're robbing yourself of grace. And so notice he goes on. For we through the spirit wait for a hope of righteousness. Notice. And how does that righteousness come? By faith. For in Jesus Christ, uh, there neither is circumcision avails anything or uncircumcision, but faith. Notice that word worketh. That word worketh is actually the word energeo. We get our word energy from it. And it's um, that which calls power for operation. It causes power for operation. It's the power by which something operates. And so faith, notice he says here, is energized or caused to operate by agape love. Now, you have a couple of faith that are talked about in Scripture. You have faith at initial salvation that you get that God gives to you to believe the facts of the gospel. And then you have faith that is the fruit of the Spirit in which we operate and we walk by faith. And so there's a relationship between agape love that energizes the, the, and I would say in this context is the faith of other saints. That, that God, agape love as it's meted out, it energizes the faith of other saints. Now notice, you can see what happens here. 
with those who were trying to put themselves under law in verse 7, you did run well, but who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not from him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And so these Galatian believers were believing that they could actually show God how righteous they were by what they did. But the context there is that we were trying to show you is that faith is energized by love. Notice you see faith in the Lord produces love toward the saints. And this is faith with regard to initial salvation. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. So this is, you can see this in Ephesians. You can also see it also in Thessalonica. One of the things that you see is that people who believe, one of the characteristics that you can find of people who believe is they have love toward the saints. You see agape love directed toward the saints. Notice in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says in verse 11, and whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. That's just just the most amazing statement that God is working or energizing all things down from the counsel, the determinations that he made down from his desirous will. I would say to you, you look out at the world today and you would say, where's God? God's not involved in the things that are going on. Oh, yes, he is. He's actively involved in his creation today. You say, well, what about all this evil that is going on? You know, it's like I told a guy at work once. He asked me, well, if there's a God, why is there so much evil in the world? I said, I guess you have a choice, right? If there wasn't any evil, you wouldn't have a choice. And he has one. And you see that. And so God is energizing in all things down from the counsel of his desire's will that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ and whom you also trusted after you've heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You see that? That every believer today is sealed by the Holy Spirit. When you believe the facts of the gospel, Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he was raised again on the third day. The Holy Spirit indwells you. You will never be without the Holy Spirit. It seals the fact that you can never not be saved. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's proof of the fact you will always be saved. Which is, notice he goes on to expand upon that verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. It's the down payment. God says, hey, here you have this. This is proof that I'm going to come back and get the rest of you. Wherefore, I also, when I've heard of you, notice here, your faith in the Lord Jesus, and notice, and your love toward who? All the saints. All the saints. One of the characteristics of people who are believers is there is agape love toward the saints. And so notice uh, faith and love are a breastplate seen as that protects the believer. Notice in 1 Thessalonians 5.8. Now I think this, I really think what hap- what's happening here 
One of the worst things that the world has done to people is that they've gotten you consumed with yourself. I think they can take the theory of um, uh, self-esteem and trash it. Because these people, the problem that you see in the world today is not that people don't have self-esteem. The problem is, is they're full of it. (laughs) It's quite the opposite. And I think that's making a lot of people neurotic. Is that a word? I don't have Darlene here to to confirm that. (laughs) But it's, it's making them crazy. And so when you agape love, it's taking your focus off of you. Off of you. And it's directing it toward other saints. You look at some of these people that are nuts. And one of the the things you find that is characteristic is they're full of themselves. They can only think about themselves. They're consumed with themselves. And when you're consumed with yourself and you you get that mirror and you start pointing and see how bad you are, that's enough to drive you crazy. And so notice in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul starts off, and again, this, I think this is a really good chapter to show a distinction between uh, the rapture and the second coming of Christ. So they didn't know about the rapture. It was a mystery, you see, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But concerning the second coming of Christ, they, they didn't know. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, we have no need that I write unto you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. So notice the pronouns here. If you haven't marked these already, mark these, because it's going to show you that you're not going through the tribulation period. Notice what he says in verse 3. For when they shall say peace and safety, sudden destruction shall come upon them as travail upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Notice this breastplate is the idea of a protection against some of the most important organs uh, that uh, affect a, uh, a, uh, a person. It's used in a physical sense, uh, but it also here is used in a, a spiritual sense. Uh, and notice, what is it? Faith and love as a breastplate of protection. Now, I think that this is protecting the believer from some of the uh, um, poss- possible things that could uh, trip the believer up. Notice, love is used in harmony with long-suffering and kindness in Scripture. Notice it's in the 13th chapter. Now, in this chapter here, uh, Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and he's trying to tell them that if you're going to use your gift, use it in love. And so, again, it's not about you. You're being told in this society that it's all about you. This life is about you. And you can see it in some of the kids today. They think that everything is about them. I, I remember listening to kids talking about today that sit around talking about I'm bored. Do you know what would have happened if I would have told my parents I'm bored? <laughs> I probably would have gotten a board. <laughs> it's just was something that you just didn't say. 
Uh, and so it's, it's all about you. But agape love is not about me. It's about you and your needs. This is a foreign thing to people today. It's totally foreign. Now notice, and this is what was happening with the Corinthians. They had these spiritual gifts, and what were they doing? They were saying, well, my gift is better than your gift. And this is what they were doing. And so notice what Paul writes to them. It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not where charity there is love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, yet just making a lot of noise. It doesn't matter what your spiritual gift is. If you don't directing agape love, you're just making a lot of noise. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith that I can remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, a lot of what is going on in the church today is this thing, right? These people say, oh, I go out and I feed the poor. Oh, I do all of these good works. And really, they don't love anyone, right? You don't see the evidence of of agape love in their lives at all. And so you can do all of these things. He said, give your body to be burned. And if you don't have agape love, it profits you nothing. Notice, he's going to give you some understanding here of how love works with the use of spiritual gifts. Love suffers long. And here you have a character. This is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, the word suffers long. Here is the word macrothemia. And it's a long hold, a long burning. You ever dealt with someone that upset you? And some people, oh, not you, Miss Jay. <laughs> you get around certain people and you can just feel this burning, right? You can just feel it. And, and it's all you can do is not to say anything, right? Well, the fruit of the Spirit, there's a long burning with people who are trying and difficult. It doesn't overflow. And the Holy Spirit is able to help you to have a long burning with people who are trying and difficult. You see. And it's not this explosion. You know, the uh, ekthos would be the, the opposite of it. And so you see it's a fruit of the Spirit. And it allows a believer to be long burning towards people who are trying or difficult. And then you have the other part of the fruit of the Spirit that you see right up front. Love suffers long and notice Here's another thing that you see when you're using your gift and love. It is kind. It's gracious. Do you know that there are people who do things and they say that it's love and it's really just. It's mean. I've seen believers that act toward other believers in such ways that you just say, yikes. This is not graciousness is all. That you, you give, you're, you're acting in a gracious manner toward other people. You're not looking at people and saying, Hey, you get on my last nerve. I'm tired of you making me sick. I've seen things over the years in churches, and I, some of them, I, it, it, it makes me blush to even say I'm over the pulpit. I, I couldn't even repeat some of the things I've seen in churches. It's really sad. The kind of behavior you see, people direct toward each other. That's not gracious. There's no kindness in it. 
There's no, uh, well, I give you this idea of, of kindness is graciousness and activity towards someone regardless of their deportment. And so that, you see those two characteristics, and, and here both of these are fruit of the Spirit, and which love takes these two parts of the fruit of the Spirit and, and binds them together and works in a way to help the believers to be able to be what God wants them to be. To be. <clears throat> now notice, love fosters behavior that maintains unity among the saints. Now we've got several of them here that we're just going to go down through, we're going to cherry pick them, and we'll see, but love forbears. So when you have forbearance towards someone, forbearance is to put up with behavior that may or may not under, uh, undermine the sensibilities of the recipient. Now that would be my definition. So you have believers who are doing things and they, they're not sin, but they're not the way that I would do them. Right? Well, we all know that if, if we are doing the things the way that we do them, any other way that is, they're done is Outside of the way that I would do it would be what? Sin. <laughs> of course. That's kind of how we see it. And no, that's not the case. That you forbear the fact that there are people who are doing things and they have idiosyncrasies that are different from yours. They do things that are different from you. It's okay. It's okay. And so we get all bent out of shape about some of these things. Um, and and, you, and I, here I give you the definition there. And we won't, I give you some uh, scriptures and you can look at those. We don't have time to go through some of those. But forbearance is used with uh, one another, others of the same kind. You forbear with other believers. Again, you can see it with regarding love. Let's just look at the main scripture in Ephesians 4.2. Verse one, therefore, the prisoner, I, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called with all lowliness of mind, with long suffering. Notice forbearing one another. And so uh, notice forbearing one another in love, I would say by means of love. I think that's an instrumental ideal there. Love allows you to put up with idiosyncrasies of people that is not what you would do. You know, there's a lot of situations where you see where people, I mean, there have been knocked down drag outs, not because people actually did things that were bad or sinful, but because they didn't do it the way that other people wanted it done. And so there's no forbearance there. Our appreciation for the fact that other people are different. It's okay. Love fosters comfort among the saints. Look at Philippians 2.1. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. Now notice Paul says here, and it's really a first class condition here, since there be consolation in Christ if their comfort notice and I would say from love and so the comfort is coming from love and so this word for comfort what is comfort it's the um, it's the word paramutheon to exercise a gentle influence by words or to soothe or to console someone 
The idea of consoling someone. You love them in such a way that this person is actually going through something and you're not going to, if you love them, just say, ah, you know what, I've been through it. You'll be okay. Get over it. No, you will console that person and you will say, hey, it's going to be all right. Really, as you can see it used over in First Thessalonians 5.14, what is needed in dealing with those who are feeble-minded. Paul urges the Thessalonians, comfort or console the feeble-minded. That word for feeble-minded, those who are of little soul. There's your word, Dan. Their souls are bothered. Emotionally, they are a wreck. They sometimes just need somebody to say, hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And where does that come from? Agape love. Notice love uh, is able to knit saints together. There's, it binds you together. You know, it's an interesting thing that you see it in a marriage relationship that agape love has a, 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 a similar binding kind of agent. But look at what it does with regard to believers in Colossians 2.2. For I would, Paul says to the Colossians, that, that, that you knew what great conflict, I read that conflict is agony I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted together, being comforted, being knit together. And I would say, how? By love. And so notice this uh, knit togetherness. Now, I think that this came as a result of the um, of what happened to the believer. So this uh, knit together is a sumbabazo. It's to sew two different parts together as one. Uh, and so notice um, the purpose existed for the hearts of the believers at Colossae to be comforted or to be encouraged because of this knit togetherness. Love is the instrument that knits the, that knit the believers together. And so you and I, as believers are knit together in a relationship in the body of Christ that is special. It's special. It's different from any other situation. I can meet a believer that I don't know, right? And you can have more in common with that believer that you don't know than someone that you've known for years because of the relationship that you have in the body of Christ and the um, and what has happened as a result of that. Now notice, love fosters cons uh, consolation. Now here's another good word, is parakaleo, which is better translated encouragement. Encouragement. Um, let's look at First Thess uh, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 16. So encouragement has the idea of um, to uh, call alongside of someone um, and uh, it's more of an ex exhortation. Now you see the other word for comfort or uh, console. It's it's a different kind of uh, thing happening with um, that term versus this one. And so notice in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two and verse sixteen. Um, 
And Paul, is, uh, as he's uh, closing out to the uh, Thessalonians, his second epistle to the Thessalonians, notice he says in verse 13, but we are bound to always give, to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions uh, which you have been taught, whether by word or our, or our epistle. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace or everlasting uh, consolation. There is encouragement or comfort or exhortation. Um, you have two sides of that word where you can exhort someone um, to spur them on to certain behavior or you can encourage them to uh, actually come along and, and that they can do better. And so notice you see that use that and, and good hope are a good expectation. And notice the word there is um, uh, as a result of grace or, or by grace that that's happened. And so consolation is the word and love fosters that love fosters edifying. Look at Ephesians, the fourth chapter in verse 16. Now, this is just an interesting um, context here in, chap- in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, start with verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors, and I would say even teachers. And so some of these gifts were temporary gifts that are not existent in the church today, and some of them are. But notice why he gave these gifts, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. So, the re- responsibility of the, the spiritual gifts is for the building up of the saints, right? And notice why the saints need to be built up. Into, uh, word four, is into a work of ministry. So as the, the, the various gifts build each other up, there's a work of ministry that God has for you to accomplish. And as these gifts work to build each other up, then Notice what happened for the edifying of the body of Christ till we come to a unity of the faith and a knowledge of the son of God unto a perfect is a mature man unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of uh, really is the Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth and love that you may grow into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by every joint supplies according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, making the increase of the body into the edifying of itself. And so the body is being built up as the body gets stronger. The body is feeding itself. Now, I really believe here what's happening is each one of these spiritual gifts, as the body is built up, that the spiritual the use of each spiritual gift is the body then begins to feed itself. You know what they say happens is that if you start going, if you uh, go without food, that your muscles will start actually feeding on itself, will start eating itself. Well, this is a reverse of that. The body actually feeds itself. 
as the believers are built up, each and every believer and the use of each one of these spiritual gifts is used to build up the body in which the body is able to edify itself. The word edify there is the word orchidomene, uh, to feed that which occurs in, uh, uh, is of the feeding that occurs in each part of the body as it contributes to the body feeding itself. And you see that throughout the course of Scripture. And the last one that we will end with is in 1 John 3.16. Well, we're in Ephesians. Let's jump down and use uh, 4.15 before we leave Ephesians. We'll back up on 4.15. He says, uh, but, seeing, uh, but speaking the truth in love, actually. That word, speaking the truth in love, is actually, you can translate it, truthing it. Anyway, we wouldn't do that in the English, right? Uh, Dan, be truthing it. <laughs> <laughs> but truthing it is, is that you're being genuine to each other, and it's by means of love. There's a genuineness that can happen among believers, and it's because, as a result of love. That you're, you're, you're saying what, uh, or speaking the things that are that, the way they really are to another saint. And notice that proceeds in verse uh, uh uh, actually, it's not in this context, but I think it's in, uh, yeah, it's in the 14th verse where he says, whereby they lie and wait to deceive those who, dece- who are dece- deceivers, who lie. On the opposite of that, to believers who would deceive, or some ones who would deceive, truthing it by love. And so a believer can say things and see things the way they really are. And, you know, I, I will say things from this pulpit, and I hope that they're from Scripture, and it, you might say to me, I don't like that. Well, hopefully, if it's true, you can accept it. See, I, I, I'm not going to tell you what the world tells you. Uh, the world is telling you that you're special. God says you're special in Christ, but outside of your position in Christ, you ain't no good, you ain't no good, you ain't no good. And I'm going to tell you, I am especially no good. None of us are any good. Outside of our position in Christ, ain't none of us any good. That's what the world tells you. No, you're special. And it's not true. And so, truthing it by means of love, actually, is how you could actually translate that. Then the last one that we'll look at is 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. Hereby perceive we the love from God. And actually, you can see that this is how we can show forth. This is one of the ways we can show forth love, right? It's not by you and I saying, I love you. I love you, John. Isn't that easy to say? I love you, Cheryl. Oh, that's easy to say. Anybody can say that, right? It's just talk. But you know one of the best ways to actually... Direct agape love is by showing it. So notice what he says. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now this word for lay down is an interesting word and you can follow it through. I gave you some of the context uh, of, um, uh, or really it's the word life, I'm sorry. I gave you some of the, the context that it occurs in on uh, page four. It's actually used nine times in this way. And it's actually the word for soul, the articulate form of soul. 
And, and I would say that it indicates that aspect of the heart or the soul that is the seat of the emotion and it craves one's own, own needs. Do you know, at the end of the day, what's more important to the, each individual person? Uno numero. And it's hard for me to think about you when all I'm thinking about is me. And that's the real problem. That's the real problem. People care about themselves more than they care about anyone else. And it's really hard. And I, I would tell you, the only way that you and I are going to manifest that is if we're spiritual. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can produce that kind of love in the, in the hearts of believers. And notice he says in verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought, we are under a moral obligation to lay down our lives for the brethren. What's important to us, right? So if, if all I'm concerned about is what's important to me, I'm going to see your need, whatever that need may be, and I say, well, I wish you well. And then we do the dreaded statement that we make in everybody that we want to just whitewash and keep going. I'm praying for you. <laughs> that covers every situation and now I'm covered right I'm praying for you there's nothing wrong with praying for saints for sure praying for other people but if you have the opportunity to do something about it what's better notice what he goes on to say but whosoever has this world's goods and sees his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word or neither in tongue, but notice, in deed and in truth. I've had, really, I don't even have to tell you I love you. When you see it, you know it. You know it, right? I could put a bumper sticker on my car saying, I love believers, right? I could wear a little heart saying, I love the saints. But what really matters? It's what I do. It's what I do. And do you know if you are really regenerated by God, you will love the saints. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And you say, well, that's hard, that's hard. It is when I try to do it on my own strength. It's not when I allow the Holy Spirit to produce it in me. And that makes all the difference in the world. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of looking at these things and grateful that as believers that we have the opportunity to be able to love one another. And that's the commandment that your son gave before he left. And there is the potential that as believers are able to direct agape love, that the world will be able to see and to know that we are yours by the love that we have one for another. And we're thankful for that potential. In your son's name we pray. Amen.